Luke chapter 24, if you're a guest here today, uh, we're so grateful that you're here and pray that God would open your minds to understand the scripture this morning. If you're watching online, we're so glad you're here with us uh, in spirit and pray that God is touching you wherever you may be watching this from. Um, we are continuing our study in Luke. Um, we're discussing unique passages in Luke. In other words, passages that aren't in uh, the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. And so it's been a great study. hope you've been blessed by it. It's, it's incredible how many unique passages are in Luke because we're in like week 22 now of this study, and we're going to continue for another six weeks or so. So it's been a, it's been a great study. And uh, I just want to kind of feed forward a little bit on this is uh, I don't like to repeat sermons. I'm really... It's like, I just don't like to. It's not enjoyable as much to me. And I think if I've said it once, you probably got it, uh, which I've learned is not true. Uh, just think, I'm not, I'm not blaming you. I'm just, we all need repetition, right? I'm not sure I can get out of this. Uh, we all need repetition to help us. And we got a lot of new people. So this is like from eight years ago. Uh, but I believe that it is part of my responsibility to help you understand and learn how to read God's word effectively. Uh, we are a church that believes fully in the person and work of the Holy Spirit, 100% of the Spirit of God, and at the same time, we believe fully 100% in the word of God, reading God's word, understanding God's word, loving God's word, being able to interpret God's word correctly. Uh, can I get an amen on that? Because uh, there's a lot of scripture thrown around uh, that, and I, I, again, I keep quoting Princess Bride, I'm just, but I don't think that means what you think it means, kind of thing that, that's going on. So uh, today we're going to look at Luke 24 because I think it's key for some understanding, and hopefully this will, will, will be enjoyable. You might actually uh, want to take some notes, scribble some things down to think about them later on. Uh, it's that critical a topic, I believe. A couple of years ago, a guy in a long sleeve shirt and a hat walked into a Washington, D.C. metro station, set up a little place right by the front door, and started playing his violin. For the next 45 minutes, he played the violin, and during that time, um, 1,097 people walked past him. Of the 1,097 people that walked past him, only seven stopped to listen. He had taken his case out, put some money in it as a starter, you know, if that's what you do, uh, kind of get the, the seed flowing kind of thing. Anyway, uh, during his 45 minutes, he collected $32.07 for 45 minutes, barely enough to pay for lunch in Washington, D.C., Unbeknownst to the people who were walking by him, two nights before, Joshua Bell had sold out the Boston Symphony Hall. Tickets were $100 a piece. He gets paid basically $1,000 a minute to perform his violin. He's one of the greatest violinists in the world. Of the 1,097 people that walked by him, only one actually recognized who he was. 
It wasn't the repertoire he was playing, because he was playing works by Bach for 45 minutes. It wasn't the violin he was using, because the violin was a $3.5 million Stradivarius. It wasn't, the, it wasn't his skill, because as I said, he's one of the great violinists in the world. The problem was that people were so busy in their lives that they didn't take even a second to step aside and to listen to one of the world's genius performers. We always like to think that if Jesus were right next to us, we'd see him. We'd recognize him. We'd follow him. But the honest truth of the matter is most of us are so caught up caught up in our lives, that if Jesus were right here, right now, in the flesh, we would most likely, a large percentage of us, just walk on by. Why? I think part of it is because we're not looking for Jesus. We're so focused on what matters to us that we're not looking for him. The story in the book of Luke is a remarkable one. It's about two guys, the day of the resurrection, on Sunday, they've left Jerusalem, and they're headed to a little town called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're walking down the road, and as they're walking, suddenly a third guy comes up, and they're talking about the events of the weekend and the day and everything that's taken place. And as they're talking, a third guy shows up and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? To which Cleopas, who's named, um, says, dude, are you so clueless? Have you, not heard, have you not heard everything going on in Jerusalem? And the third guy says, no, no, tell me about it. And we get this passage in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 19, where he says this, About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in the word and deed before God and all the people. So this is their evaluation. Now these two, by the way, are disciples of Jesus, really. I mean, and they're not part of the twelve, but they're followers of his. As a matter of fact, this Cleopas, some have speculated, is Clopas, mentioned other places in the New Testament, who is actually the brother of Mary, Jesus' mother. So, not only, not only, think about it, not only, if, if indeed this is Jesus, which we know the punchline of the story already, right? <laughs> you know the punchline, that the third guy is Jesus, then not only are these followers of his, one of these guys is probably his uncle and doesn't recognize him. He was at the foot of the cross, if indeed it was this guy. He was there. Go on and say, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Wow, this is a powerful statement to me. I mean, think about it. They're saying our hopes have been dashed. We thought this was the guy. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. <laughs> 
They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. So these guys are not clueless about the report of the missing body and the resurrection. Because listen to what they say. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. I mean, these guys, these guys are not, hallelujah. They're not singing the resurrection song yet. They're just saying, we can't believe this. Well, these women said it, but I don't know. It's an incredible account. They continue on down the road. Jesus talking to them. They say, it's, it's late in the evening. And so they say something like, hey, come on in and have dinner with us. He says to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning who? Himself. Goes in, has dinner with him. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, this is an unbelievable story. I know you have to receive part of it in faith because you're like, oh, this is so wild. They now, their eyes are opened. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open my eyes to see their eyes are open, and now they see Jesus. As soon as they do and recognize him, he's gone. They say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us, with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? In other words, <clears throat> what did Jesus teach them about the scriptures? He opened the scriptures to them and showed them beginning with Moses and through all the prophets, how the entire scripture was about himself. Now, if we had just this one passage to say this, then we might come back and say, well, you know, he was just trying to encourage them about the resurrection and all that had happened and to help point them along. He's disappeared. They are like, we got to go back. Now, remember, it's seven miles. You know, I, seven miles on a dirty road, you're in sandals. You've just walked seven miles. It's nighttime now. They just had dinner. They get up and they bolt it back to tell the disciples, we've just, we've just seen Jesus. We, this is true. We have been with him. They show up, start telling the disciples about We've just seen Jesus. The next thing you know, Jesus is suddenly in their midst. He's right there. Now, again, we don't understand all that's going on, but this is the resurrected Christ. Um, obviously, there's some how he gets from here to there. Um, there's a mystery aspect 
to it that I'm, I'm not going to unfold because I don't know. And so um, it all occurred, but nonetheless, he's there. And he says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Here's the premise for this morning, and then I want to talk about understanding the scriptures. The premise is this. Jesus is the key of interpretation to understand the Bible. He is the interpretive key to understand the word of God. Now, I, I know you can get bogged down in a little bit of every word, every verse, but to understand the scripture, we have to know Jesus. We have to understand and look at it in light of God the Son. Uh, he is on every page. He's throughout the entire, it's all pointing to him. It's all clarifying him. It's all talking about the consummation of the kingdom of God. It's all about him. And so I want to talk about the word of God and how we read the word of God, how we study the word of God, just to kind of give us some pointers this morning. Because again, if we're 100% spirit and 100% word, then as we read the word of God, it would be helpful to understand the word of God and to understand it properly, right? Un Hello? To understand it right. Thanks, Emily. Just hop in there anywhere you want to, people. Just let me know you're with me. Because this is so important. If, if you don't follow me, I'm going to back up and repeat it again. So uh, this is so critical for all of us. So here's what I want to do. And I'm not the first one to do this. I borrowed this from scholars throughout the ages. But there is this, what do we compare the word of God to? And our understanding of it. And there is a, there's a model that's been used throughout the centuries in which the Word of God is compared to a grand cathedral. And so I want to use that imagery just to help us out a little bit as we study the Word of God because I think it will, it's easy and it helps us. Now, we are not in a grand cathedral. Uh, we are in a very practical building. Uh, but cathedrals were built to point people toward God. And most cathedrals were built in the form of the shape of a cross. And they have all these different sections, all these different aspects to them. So I'm just going to point out and show you some pictures of one cathedral that I've had the opportunity to visit. By the way, it is my favorite. And so I'm going to show you pictures of me at a cathedral <laughs> and uh, help point. But I would say this, if you're ever in Barcelona, you have to go see Sagrada Familia. Uh, it's still in the process of being built. And that's it, not the apartments there in the front. That is not the cathedral. But that's it in the distance. And if you're in Barcelona, you can pretty well see it from all aspects of the city. You can see this magnificent structure that's continuing to be built. It was started in uh, 1882. Uh, Antonio Gaudi, a great architect uh, from Barcelona, designed this unique cathedral uh, it's supposed to be completed in the year 2026, which is the 100th anniversary of his death. And so there's still 
flooding. And so a lot of things have been done even since I was there like six, seven years ago. But the first part about the cathedral I want you to see is the, the view from afar. And to relate it to the scriptures, the view from afar. So he says in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 and 45, this is what I told you while I was with, still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of the prophets and the Psalms. In, <coughs> excuse me. Then he says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scripture. So the idea of this from afar, it means from a distance. How are we looking at the word of God? If we take a step back and kind of look at the scripture, how do we view it? So just um, about six months ago, uh, the Barna Institute and the American Bible Society completed the largest in history study of what Americans believe about the Bible. Uh, it just was, they published their findings last year, and they're really um, shocking to me. They're very, very surprising. So, um, according to Americans, and this is not believers, this is uh, just general Americans. Sorry, I'm having trouble with my mic a little bit. This is um, what they said. 51% of Americans believe that America would be worse if we didn't have the Bible. 51% of Americans believe if the Bible wasn't available and read by Americans, America would, be, America would be worse. Here's the stat I have trouble getting my head around, but I think it's your interpretation of the word. Inspiration. Because 71% of Americans still believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Now, that's a shocking, I, I thought it was going to be like uh, maybe 20%. Because all I hear is, you know, millennials don't uh, accept the word of God. People are abandoning church. So the idea that I think we're seeing is that there are a lot of young adults who are leaving the institutional church, but they still have a spirituality about them. And as a matter of fact, many still read the word of God. One-sixth of Americans say they read the Bible every day. One-sixth of Americans. And another one-third of Americans say that they read the Bible at least once a week. Here's the idea, though. How are they reading it? What are they reading it for? What is the view from afar? And so I want to talk about as we step into our study of the Bible, some wrong ways to approach the Bible. So I think you can get the right ways from looking at these wrong ways because some of these are ideas we have in our head about how to read the Bible. So these are, this is my list on uh, wrong ways to approach the Bible. So these are the things I think you might want to write down and think about. But if you don't want to, that's fine too. Uh, wrong ways to approach the Bible. The first is that it's simply a random collection of sacred writings that we use for devotional purposes. Now, there are statements within there that are sort of true. Like the Bible is inspirational, it's devotional, it can be used. But if we just view the Bible as th this is all it is, then we're going to approach the Bible with a, with a wrong view. 
Second is to approach the Bible as if it were two distinct books with two distinct gods. And I've heard this even in sermons. Well, the God of the Old Testament is this. The God of the Old Testament is mean and ugly and has people killed. And the God of the New Testament is this loving, sacrificing God who's redeeming us. And I, I, when I've heard things like this, I want to stand up and scream and say the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. We have one God, not two. Not two. It is, and it's not even two distinct books. It is one. The Old Testament and the New Testament they, they flow together. So if you're doing that, stop it. Here's a third one. As simply a collection of moralistic stories and teachings which help us to live a good life. So here's the Bible. It's a, you know, if you read about David, you'll get some morals, moralistic stories about how you should live your life or not live your life. Or you read about uh, this other character in the Bible, or even Jesus. We read about Jesus, and it gives us a good approach on how... The Bible is much more than a collection of moralistic stories. If, if, if all it is is moralistic stories or the next one, uh, reducing it to a system of rules and regulations that we're to live by, then what we've reduced the Bible to, we're going to end up as the Pharisees ended up. We're going to end up as legalists. The Bible, we need to, re we need to read it just so we can kind of live a good moral life, we can know what to do and what not to do, and that's the way we're going to live our lives. Again, the, you're, you're like, I, I don't think that sounds wrong. It's incomplete. The view from afar is like looking at a cathedral that's not got any roof on it or spires, or there's some parts of it that are true, but not all. And therefore, if it's not all true, it will not help us in our understanding of the Scripture. Fifth, that the Bible is primarily about Israel. The Bible is not primarily about Israel. I'll, I'll, I can't say this strong enough. Israel is a big component in the Bible, but the Bible's not about them. And this is a little tough one to receive, that the Bible was written to me. There's this idea that and it's really called illuminism, illumination, this idea that the Bible is all about me. And I need to read it as if every verse and promise of it were directed towards me. Now, you, again, I think some of us may be thinking, well, all of this sounds kind of harsh. The problem is, again, it's, it's incomplete. Here's why I'm saying all of this. I am not the main character of the book, the Bible. Israel is not the main character of the Bible. Listen to this. The church is not even the main character of the Bible. God is the main character of the Bible. This is the story of God's continual revelation of himself to mankind for the purpose of moving humanity from a position of being in sin to a position of being redeemed and united with him. And it's all about God. It's all about him. That's the view to, from afar. Then there's kind of a view from above. Here's Sagrada Familia from above. Now, this, this is not my picture. I just thought, uh, I'd let you know, I did not have a drone flying over Barcelona. Uh, this is the view uh, from uh, several years ago of what it looked like, and it's being close. It, 
Some more spires have been added and some other things have been, been added to it even since this picture was taken. But again, if you look at the plan, and again, this is, some of these are the plans Gaudi drew up 140 years ago now for this cathedral. And think about it, 140 years it's still being built. It takes a while to put the completion on. So the view from above, if we go to the verse back in, um, back in Luke again, then what we get is, he says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Beginning at the start of the Bible and going all through the book of Revelation, the view from above is this, that it's about Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, our triune God and what he's doing on the earth is how we should how we should read the scripture. Do you know there's an aspect, don't, don't mishear me here, there's an aspect of the Bible that's yet unfulfilled. I mean, we still got the whole book of Revelation coming, right? So it's God's unfolding history of his revelation to man and the fulfillment of it in Jesus Christ, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the return of Jesus, and it all flows together. You need the view from above that this is about Jesus. There's a plan here. There's a design that God has for humanity. He has for you. He has for me. He has for us. And it helps us if we look at the Scripture in not just from afar, but from above, understanding what he's trying to communicate to us. N.T. Wright gives four basic assumptions uh, about reading the Word of God, which I think are very, very helpful. He says this, first, the Bible is God's story. That's really important. The Bible is God's story, the true story of the world. Second, the Bible explains why the world is the way it is. You look around and say, why the heck is this like this? And the Bible gives us, Bible gives us understanding of the way that the world is that no philosophy, no other religion, no, no, no writing of mankind can give us this understanding. Philosophers throughout the ages have tried to take why is humanity like he is? How do we, how is humanity? I think therefore I am. Um, just take anything. Any philosophy that's trying to describe who you are, and the only way to really understand is by reading God's Word, because the Bible gives us that. The Bible is the record of God's self-disclosure, His unfolding revelation. It's progressive in nature. It's who He is. How we understand who He is, how we, how we understand how He interacts with humanity. And finally, the design of God is the ultimate plan. There are other plans, but God's design is the ultimate plan. <clears throat> Side note, do you remember when Moses first went into uh, Pharaoh's court? 
and they throw down the rod and it turns into a snake. Hello. Any of you read that story? I, I know you have. So goes down, turns into a snake. Pharaoh says, ah, I got some guys who can do that. It's not that big a deal. So he brings in his magicians. They take their staffs. They throw them down and they turn into snakes. I don't know about you, but I'd be impressed and scared. Because <laughs> I got some snakes all around me. Do you remember what happens in the story? What, what happens? Hit God's rod, Aaron's rod, swallows up all the other snakes. The truth of God is the ultimate plan for all of humanity. It is the truth that swallows up all other lies. He will. I mean, there's a lot that looks like, sounds like, smells like what God is doing, but it is not what God is doing. And his plan will swallow up all other plans. It may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, but it will happen. And so it's, it's best to understand that this design of God is the ultimate one. And to look at the Bible as God's unfolding revelation, how, it, how the world is like it is, how God is who he is, he says he is, and the plan of his that is intended for all of humanity. Now, do you see why I say, if you read the Bible, like every verse is just like this little nugget for me, how you'll miss the, the beauty from above of who God is and what he's doing on the earth? Our limited mindset will reduce the Bible to something less than it really is. And it's not that the Bible... The Bible is not the fourth member of the Trinity, right? The Bible, we've got Father, Son, Holy, you know, I'm Baptist, so we used to joke around that we had Father, Son, and Holy Scripture, you know, kind of thing. Like, that was it. We never talked about the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the Bible shows us. The Bible guides us. The Bible is like the banks that the river can flow through. So we need to understand what it is God's, God's word is saying. Here's my final point. This is once you get into the cathedral. Once you get inside. It's magnificent inside. I mean, it looks great from afar. It looks great from around it. But once you get inside it, it's breathtaking. These are the columns. They're white. These are some of the stained glass windows uh, that are in the cathedral. And when the light comes through the side of the windows, it just casts this glorious kind of prism of light onto these white columns that is always changing. There's an awe you feel about being inside the room. And wherever you go inside the cathedral, you find something new. Every, every crevice, every window, every column, every, every door, every aspect of it is something different and something new that unfolds as you witness it. I think the scripture is like this. The view from inside is magnificent. He says, the, one of the two guys says, were not our hearts 
burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When we get into the word of God and really receive it for all it is, it should, and we see Jesus all through it and the revelation of God for all of humanity and we're studying God's word, there should be a burning within our hearts, a fire deep inside. We sing that song about the fire burning within us. There's this fire that the word of God should stir up and stoke as we read the word. Now, I, I'm born and raised in the church, so I've been reading the Bible my entire life. I can't even tell you how many years in a row I've read the Bible through. It's part of my plan. Every, every year I read the Bible through. Usually I read a different translation this year than last year. I have a different plan, but my idea is to read the Bible through every year, and it's been years. I'm discovering that here, here's, here's my problem. And I got a lot of them. You know, it's not like I got just, I'm a look. You may look at him and say, ah, he probably doesn't have that many problems. Oh, no, I got plenty. But one of them is, um, and this is not going to sound like I'm not bragging, and this is not a bad problem, but I read really fast because I love to read. So my whole life is spent reading. So I can read a book really fast. I can read. But when I reduced the Bible to reading fast, you know what I mean? You're just like kind of thing. I miss it. So what I've started making myself do, and this is excruciating, and I'm starting to read it aloud more and more, where I make myself slow down and let the Word of God permeate my heart and my life so that it gets to be a, a part of me. Now, it takes longer. You know, my Bible readings in the morning, if I do this, and I don't, honestly, I don't do it every day because there's some days I'm like pressed, but when I do it, it just takes it takes longer. And here's the thing about the view from inside. Like you've got, you've got the nave and all the different aspects of the, the, the cathedral. And you can't view a stained glass window like you view a column. Right? Does that sound obvious? Sound, when you're inside, you're not looking at the column saying, what a beautiful stained glass window. I know you're saying, well, that's stupid to even... You can't read Proverbs like you're reading the Gospel of John. Hello? It's a different view from inside. It's a different kind of literature. It's written different. This summer, we're going to go through the book of Daniel. You can't read Daniel like you read Colossians. They're different. They have different aspects. But I hear people all the time read something and apply a scriptural translation of it or a version or interpretation about this verse means this. You can't apply a prophetic oversight to every verse of the, the Bible. You can't do a, a prayer aspect like you do every verse of the Bible. It, it just doesn't fit. In other words, the view from inside has to be appropriate to what you're looking at. By the Spirit of God, you view the inside Here's what she found. She loves me. <laughs> she talks to me all the time. And you know what? She never talks ugly to me. She's very nice. There are different entryways into 
the Bible as well. So, Sagrada Familia has um, two entryways that are open and a third one that's designed. The problem with the third one is they're going to have to like buy three city blocks and um, uh, relocate a thousand people. So it's a little bit of a battle, as you can understand. Uh, this is the passion door. This is a door that, as you come to it, 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 the whole, the cross, the passion event, everything we celebrated for Easter. So when you walk up, it's all different. This other door looks entirely, you don't even know, you can't believe this is the same cathedral when you come to this other door. This is on the other side of the cathedral, and this is the nativity scene. And you look at those two, one has the flying buttresses, those are those things that kind of go off. The, the, I can't go back or I'd show you, and it's really not that important. Um, but the whole design of them is entirely, the nativity is glorious and intricate and artistic and uh, almost a Baroque style of art. The other style is more a sparse, they reflect the passion and the birth. I say that, that there are different doors for us to enter to discover God's word. Here, think about this. If 71% of Americans actually read their Bible or believe it's the inspired word of God or kind of have some view of it, there, you, you may think to yourself, you know, there's really no way I can strike up a conversation with anyone about spiritual things because nobody believes what I believe. Maybe not, but there are doorways that you can help people walk through if they have some understanding of the Bible, kind of like, do you understand what you're reading? And help them discover the glory of Jesus. And as you read the Bible to, to, to think, God is revealing himself to me. How can I discover him in a greater way as I read his word? As I commune with him today. Spirit of God, show me more about the glory of God as I read the word of God. Now you may be thinking, well, what about me? Where's the me part for the day? Listen, if you start with God, show me more of you, he'll get to you. I've discovered that whenever I ask God and pray to him to say, God, I want to see you more fully. I want to I discover your glory in a greater way. I want to hear from you as I read your word, your story, the unfolding grace of Jesus Christ in this word. God, God, show me. I don't think I ever come away not having been spoken to about me. Usually there's some repentance taking place. There's something going on. But God is that, that great. I want to encourage you to immerse yourself in the Word of God. To let the Spirit of God unfold the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ, to open your minds to who he is and what he's doing on the earth. We need to... I'm just going to say it. We need to get over ourselves. We've just got to get out of our little bubble that says, this is all about me. Here I am. Here's the universe going around me, 
All of it's about me. God is the centerpiece of everything that's taken place. How do we give him glory? How do we worship him? How do we discover more about him? Everything else, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added unto you as well. Discover the generosity and the power and the glory of our living God as he unfolds it in in his word. Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts and our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we we understand that there are corners in which your word is under attack. But Lord, the way it's been preserved, the way it's come down to us, the glory that you've you've used to manifest yourself and your story and who you are and the person of Jesus, I pray that we will, we will embrace all the magnificent aspects of who you are and what you're doing on the earth and even what you're doing in our lives and in our church today. Lord, we thank you for your, your generosity. You are so generous. You've poured yourself out on us. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Lord, may we discover more of you as we walk our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to receive.